welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. And today I have with me Dr. Mark Edney who is an expert in leadership development, teaches courses on this, and has been really instrumental with a bunch of physician leaders moving up in the organization. So happy to introduce you all to Mark Edney. So Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So Mark, tell us a little bit about your role and how you got into leadership development. I've had different types of leadership roles in medicine. As I started years ago getting involved in leadership, it occurred to me that this is a whole discipline unto itself. And like any other discipline, you come to it perhaps with, with some basic background and maybe some natural ability, but but you can always learn. But I've really sort of learned to become a student of, of leadership over time. And, and as you start looking at the different ways in which you can train yourself as a leader and, and start to absorb leadership principles, I started becoming an M- interested in MBA programs. And uh, finally found one, this was back in 2016, at Brandeis University that started offering an executive MBA for physicians. And it was really well designed in that you could continue practicing. You didn't need to take time off. And it was a hybrid on-campus, off-campus uh, webinar uh, format that lasted 16 months. And so I, I signed up for it. I was the first class to go through in my cohort of physicians. There were 36 of us. But that's really where the academic side of my leadership training sort of really got a jump start. Because you learn all the basic financial literacy skills, you go through account managerial accounting and corporate finance, but you also spend a lot of time talking about leadership, organizational behavior, and all of those sorts of topics. And I found once I finished that program and I came back to the hospital and was involved in leadership roles in the hospital, there were several articles that I kept going back to. I found myself in situations, and I think back there was an article we reviewed that talks about this, and I go back and, and reread it. And it, it occurred to me over time that I bet there are other leaders in, in the hospital around me. Um, that would appreciate sort of having a chance to discuss these concepts because I seem to keep going back to them. So I, I picked four or five of the key articles from my experience that resonated, put them together in a binder, and then she just asked, does anybody want to start up a little program where we read an article and sit around the table and talk about it for, for an hour and a half once a month? And that became the leadership development discussion series uh, that we started here. And we've been through three or four groups, and, and it's been, I think, pretty successful. And, and we start with some really basic concepts of, the issue of the idea of fair process and change management. You've got even one or two people on a team that you're trying to lead in a certain direction. There are certain behaviors that increase the likelihood that they're going to follow along with you. There are also some things you can do that make it less likely they're going to follow along with you. This, this issue of fair process of engaging people, explaining where you're going and setting expectations is important. There's a paper about it, so we talk about that paper. The issue of having difficult conversations, it's a key skill as you engage in any kind of leadership activity. You'll find yourself from time to time having to have a sit down in a really challenging, difficult conversation where emotions run high and the stakes are high. There are things you can do to prepare for those, and there are ways you can conduct it and recognize when things are going off track. And so there's, a, there's, a paper, there's a several papers that, that deal with that that we talk about. Finally, the science of persuasion, and there, there's some things you can do to sort of help convince people that the project you're working on is worth their time and effort and help convince them that that's the way they want to go. And the final paper that I picked out is the new science of team chemistry, which came out a few years ago, and really sort of starts to apply to different personality styles that we find um, around teams. When we find ourselves around the table working on a project, there are all the different personality styles that come out. There's the person that wants to be up at the whiteboard shouting out ideas, and then there are people who are perhaps a little bit more quiet and are, are worried more about the relationships on the team. And the 
all have valuable roles, but when we start to learn about and unpack um, what goes into those, uh, we start to develop a level of tolerance with different styles, but also how to harness those different styles to really make sure that everybody on the team is contributing to, to the end project. And so that just a brief overview of what we study in that, and, uh, and it's been a successful program. As new leaders start to think about their leadership development, they're definitely going to be interested in those five topics that you talked about, but new leaders typically don't have a ton of time. What do you think is the most important thing a new leader should be thinking about in terms of their skill development? One of the most important for a new leader is, is the whole concept of emotional intelligence. And this gets talked about whether you're listening to podcasts or, or reading about leadership, you'll hear the concept emotional intelligence. And it was popularized by Dan Goldman, who's a psychologist, several years ago. And he wrote the book called Emotional Intelligence. And there have been several follow-up articles in Harvard Business Review. Uh, but broken down simply, emotional intelligence has three main buckets. It's self-awareness and managing your own emotions. It's awareness of others um, and developing different types of empathy, uh, being able to feel what others are feeling or at least understand what others are feeling. And finally, it's the ability to, to build and promote and, and sustain professional relationships. I think that's a sort of a key collection of skills that a, that a new leader sort of at least needs to start being aware of. And, and this is one of those things where some new leaders come to the table with all of these skills sort of innately uh, part of their package already. They just they get they have a natural sense for these relationships, but others don't. Some people aren't born with it, but it is something you can learn and start to study and start to practice and, in fact, get better with. So I usually start there. It's about communication, about self-awareness, awareness of others, and, and building relationships as you get started in your leadership. Emotional intelligence isn't something that we get any training on, certainly not in medical school and really uh, definitely not in residency. In fact, I think we may even get the opposite training because physicians are in a position where they're in charge of an operating room or in charge of a floor or running a code. And in those situations, the doctor says, do this and other people do that. Whereas in leadership and administration, you say, do this and they can tell you to bugger off. So that is definitely a skill that needs to be developed, this emotional intelligence. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's well worth their while. Anyone who finds themselves in leadership position, particularly if you're struggling with certain projects, you feel like you've got good ideas or your team has good ideas, but you're just having problems implementing them, having, bringing others along. Having been a leader um, in departments of surgery in particular, surgeons are very challenging to lead, tend to be very sort of strong-willed tend to know how they want to do things and get things done. In a lot of cases, very resistant to thinking about things in a different way. How do you crack that? And it really comes down to, again, I think exercising all of those principles of, of emotional intelligence, but giving people the time and space to really hear their viewpoint. I think as leaders, we'll get a good idea and we'll say, this is the way we need to go for, for this project and start just telling people the way that, that we need to go. I still find myself doing that from time to time. And I've made some mistakes as a leader and getting too far out in front of my skis and saying, this is clearly the direction we need to go. You all come in this direction and follow me rather than engaging. And it gets back to that fair process paper. The first step of any project is to engage the people that you want to bring along on this project and you want to engage. And in real engagement, a lot of leaders make the mistake of thinking that engagement is just telling people what you intend to do and what you'd like them to do. It's not a telling. This is a real conversation that needs to be had. You need to give your, your potential followers, the people you want to engage, the time and space to raise their own ideas, to 
talk about what their own challenges are going to be, and debate ideas. And the literature, the business psychology literature is full of data to support that if you've had the opportunity to voice your opinion, to engage in debate, even if ultimately the decision goes a different way, if you've had that opportunity to at least give your opinion and debate ideas, you're okay supporting a decision that goes a way that you didn't want to go, you feel like you've had your say. And I think too often we don't let people have their say. So I think that's a, a key element that a lot of people miss in change management is, is true engagement. And once you've engaged, and once you've had that debate, this isn't leadership by democracy. You as the leader are still going to make the decision on which way we go, but you've conducted the debate, you've given the people the opportunity to really um, vent their concerns, frustrations, what their potential barriers are. Then you set expectations. You say, very clearly, this is the decision I've made. This is why I've made it. I understand that you wanted to go a different direction, but this is why I feel we have to go in this direction. Please come with me. And then you set clear expectations for, for the metrics you're going to use to, to measure outcomes. And I think when you speak and lead with that degree of clarity and that degree of inclusiveness on the front end, things in general tend to go better. There's no magic wand, and it's not going to go well every time, but I think in generally speaking, you're on better footing if you've really engaged have those discussions, and then be clear about your expectations and the direction you're going. Getting other people's opinions up front certainly makes sense. I like it when people ask for my opinion early. I get time to formulate my ideas, but it doesn't always happen. And I think the reason for that is time pressure, particularly if you're still clinical, you've got a in-basket full of messages. Asking other people for their opinion takes time. So I see that step gets missed sometimes. I see that with new leaders frequently. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, in real time, when you're actually doing these things, they're very easy to forget. And you can kind of see a pathway to, I know how to get this done. I'm just going to take the ball and run with it. You see it all the time. And it's, it's, it's very common. But you, you raise a good point. And sometimes, quite frankly, as leaders, we've got decisions that don't have a week or two to test the waters and to gauge the temperature of the team. You just don't simply don't have time. You've got to make a decision. Well, then when you're a leader, you need to make those decisions and make sure they're on time. But I think, however, if generally speaking, there are certain projects that do have time allowed. And when you are able and you have the time to engage and you do it, and you're perceived as a leader who generally does that when they have time, your team will also cut you some slack when you've got to make a decision without engaging. So I think it's about it's developing a, a leadership brand for yourself, really. If you are the type of become to be known as the type of person who engages when they can, people will cut you slack when you've got to make that last minute decision because of time pressure. Mark, I recently did a episode about the cranky physician, sometimes downright hostile. And as CMIOs, we find ourselves engaging with people who are really stressed sometimes. They are frustrated about regulatory issues or reimbursement issues or the prior authorization process. And they take it out on the, they say electronic medical records, the problem. They'll take it out on the CMIOs or provider informaticists. And not that the EMR doesn't have things to fix, but what can CMIOs do for conflict resolution? How do you help move someone who's really stuck in their position? It's a great question and a really common problem. And I think this calls on skills both of, of emotional intelligence, but it also gets to the larger issue of burnout, which is a, is a side discussion that you can almost have, you can have several other podcasts on. But with respect to the emotional intelligence piece, it's, it's hard when someone is being abrasive or contrary to you, even sort of verbally aggressive. They're just angry with what you're asking them to try to do. We tell ourselves, stories about 
what their intent might be. Well, they're just angry with me. But in reality, when you really sort of start to tap into your skills of emotional intelligence and understanding, stepping out of your shoes and putting yourself in the shoes of the person who's angry, and what, you, what are the other things that may be contributing their anger? There's actually a whole host of them. The, your physician burnout's one thing. But we also all have lives outside of these institutions and recognizing that life is hard sometimes and really challenging social things happen to us outside of the work environment that impact our demeanor and, and how we approach things at work. And so I think broadening your scope of view and your understanding of people and sometimes folks will get labeled as the grump or the person who's always contrary, understanding that and there's a broader context to, to where they might be coming from. It, that at least helps with your understanding. It may not fix your problem um, with the intransigence, but at least it, it sets the stage for broadening your perspective a little bit with respect to where they might be coming from. But yes, getting to the, I think one of, one of the components of burnout is that loss of autonomy. And, and in particular with the medical record, a lot's been written about that and its contributions to burnout and frustrations with functionality and training and whether or not they've got influence over how changes are made to the medical record, all of those contribute to frustration. And so to the extent that you can you know, invite them into leadership discussions, I think that starts to mitigate some of that. But if you're dealing with a particular issue and you're just getting a wall of resistance, sometimes sitting down with that one resistor can be helpful in how you approach that conversation. This gets into that skill of conducting difficult conversations because it can be done well. You can also miss the mark. But when you start to look at some of what's written about conducting difficult conversations, first get your own emotional house in order. Ask yourself what you want to get out of this conversation for you, for the other person. What do you hope results from this? Uh, but approach it from a sense of humility and with an open mind and ask open-ended questions. And I might sit down with a particularly frustrated provider who tends to answer in short quips and I just feel like I'm not getting to them. I might say, there's a variety of different sort of things we've been trying to do here. And my sense is that you're very frustrated with all of this. Can you tell me a little bit about where your frustration comes from? And, and that sort of open-ended question, it's not don't, not yes or no questions. It's talk to me a little bit about what your issues are with this initiative. And let them go. And, and sometimes you may be able to, you, it may comport with what you think their frustrations are. Sometimes you're surprised. They're just, they're bothered by things that have nothing to do with what you're trying to accomplish, but it's leaking into, into this particular issue. There's something very disarming about having been asked your opinion and been allowed to vent because sometimes people just aren't given the time and space to really express what's frustrating them. Nobody really asks, hey, what's been bothering you? I'm not trying to turn leaders into psychologists. We're not trying to become psychologists and put people on the couch, but the very simple act of saying, I'm sensing a lot of resistance from you. Tell me about what, what's frustrating you. You'll get people to open up, and, and sometimes what you'll find is surprising. But I think the simple act of having given them that space sometimes can soften them at least enough, maybe to make a little bit of headway. You're not going to turn people around overnight. Uh, but you may get a, get a little bit of a softening to allow them to, to at least listen to what you're trying to do. So there's this situation you describe where someone cuts in front of you while you're driving home from work. And your first reaction is to curse them out and go cut them off back. Well, at least that's mine because I'm from New York. But people get immediately hostile and assume bad intent. Now, if you knew that that person was rushing their bleeding child to the hospital, you would have been like, sure, go ahead. Let them go forward. And the story we tell ourselves is sometimes very influential as to the steps we take. We tell ourselves a story about why that just happened. It's a natural human, I think, psychological response. 
But when you start to sort of step back again, broaden your perspective and entertain alternative stories for how or why that might have happened, you yourself will find yourself calming down a little bit, but it also opens your mind to, uh, to different possibilities. And you may then not react quite with, with the speed or in a way that you might later regret. We've covered that basic entry level emotional intelligence area. But what about for more senior leaders? What about CMIOs who are more than 50% in administration and they are really interacting at a high level in the C-suite? What sort of tools should they be developing in their leadership tool belt? Sure, that's a great question. I think a couple will come to mind. One is strategic thinking, and there's a lot written about that. And you can read Harvard Business Review articles about strategic thinking. There are books you can pull out of the library. In our MBA program, is we spend a course on strategic thinking. But it's thinking about sort of the, the positioning of your organization, not necessarily the day-to-day frontline grind of leading teams, but rather sort of positioning your organization for success, which is a different sort of style of thinking. So strategy and being able to contribute to strategy discussions as part of a leadership team are important. And I also think that a certain degree of financial literacy at some point really starts to become important. You don't have to have an MBA. You don't have to do all kinds of coursework and accounting. But at the very least, you need to familiarize yourself with the terminology that the CFO is using when they're talking about the balance sheet and operating margins and the capital budget and, and how resources are allocated in your institution. Because ultimately, the CEO, with the, in consultation with the CFO, are deciding where for the next year from the budget cycle resources are going to be allocated and everybody feels under like they're they're under resourced. And so you've got to make do, you got to do more with less and all of those sort of common things that we're aware of. But I think if you start to develop a vocabulary, be able to engage in those conversations, oftentimes when you make a request, a financial request of leadership, their first question is, well so what's the fine? What's the return on investment for that? If I allocate you more dollars from the budget, how is that going to be returned? towards the operating margin. And if you start to think about your shop and, and what you're trying to do in terms of return on investment and be able to engage in those conversations and using that vocabulary, I think it's an important skill set as you ascend higher. There's another skill that's really important as you become a more senior leader in an organization, and that is of mentoring others in the organization and the leaders that are coming up behind, behind you paying attention to their leadership development, uh, their, their career trajectory, and, and having a keen sense of what they want out of their careers and their trajectory, and mentoring them through situations. By the time you've gotten to those higher levels, you've been through a lot of scenarios, and you've led a lot of projects. Some, some have worked and some haven't. Sharing that experience and knowledge is really critical to helping them learn their jobs so they can do their jobs better. You're a key resource for them. And I think sometimes we get so busy in the day-to-day grind of going meeting to meeting to meeting and putting out fires we forget to take a breath and ask the folks in line and the leaders below us in the organizational chart, how are you doing? What do you need from me? How can I support you? And it's important to sort of think about those and, and, and make leadership development a, a priority of yours as a senior leader, worrying about how are the leaders below you developing and, and are they getting what they need from you and are they getting what they want out of their careers? As CMIOs, we don't always have a huge team of direct reports. Sometimes those resources we need sit under the CIO or COO. How important is influence as a senior leadership skill? Yeah, a lot of times and we find ourselves as physicians and providers in leadership positions where we have accountability, but we don't have authority, necessarily direct line authority. We don't have a direct hand on the levers of the different incentives that can be used to change behavior. So we're relying completely on our ability as leaders to influence others. 
and those those powers of persuasion are really important. What I talk about is for leaders coming up and just starting, building what's called your social capital is the intangible qualities of trust um, that you build and, and reliability that you build amongst your peers as you tell the folks bad news when it's bad, don't sugarcoat it, share good news, give people appropriate kudos when they do well, deliver criticism in private. If you become sort of known as, as a trusting, reliable leader, and you bring home the goods for your team once in a while, you know, it's not going to happen all the time, but, but you got to have some successes once in a while, you start to develop this social capital amongst your peers and amongst your group. And it's that social capital really that you rely on for influence, because you don't have the power necessarily to hire or fire or to change incentives. You just want to be viewed as a strong leader. We've all had that experience in our lives. We can name one or two people who are just phenomenal leaders, and they could have told you, hey, we're marching to Baltimore this afternoon. It's going to take two hours. Follow mine. Let's go. You would have followed them because you trust them, because they're great leaders, and you trust their vision, whatever it is. I'm going to get behind that person. We all strive and aspire to be that kind of leader where you're asking people to do some stuff they don't really want to do, but they're going to trust you because you generally have shown yourself to be a trustworthy person. And, and you care about the people that you're bringing along behind you. So I think if you can instill that level of trust and, and faith in what you're doing, you build that social capital. And that's really what you rely on to exert influence. And then there's this broader sort of influence throughout the, the medical staff. There may be groups that you really want to encourage to, to go a certain way with a certain project, but you don't have any direct relationship with them at all. And that's where you, I think, rely on that social capital that you've built. And you're just generally a good person. You're a nice person, but you're also a strong leader. You do what you say you're going to do. You don't sugarcoat it. You don't provide false information. If you're trustworthy um, and strong and, and honest and open with people, they're going to follow you. And they're going to, generally speaking, more often than not, going to follow along with what you're trying to do. What are you reading or what are you listening to to stay current on leadership development? So I, I read a lot, and, and leadership is one of those things. Once you sort of become a student of leadership, there's so many resources out there to think about. There's a podcast, Harvard Business Review has, has some leadership podcasts that you can, you can tap into. I'm sure there are a variety of others. I read, I have a, I have a subscription to Harvard Business Review, so that's a comes out, I think, bi-monthly. And sometimes there are really good leadership articles in uh, HBR. Uh, but books, there are so many books written about the concept of leadership. I mean, going back a, a really long time, I like to read about leadership in history, there's a great uh, book written about um, Abraham Lincoln and his approach to leadership and the way he organized his cabinet. He was president of the United States and he really surrounded himself with naysayers and people who were actually fundamentally opposed to some of the things that he wanted to do because he wanted to have that conversation. There are different kinds of leaders out there. Some are out front charging up the hill. Others are in the back kind of mentoring and coaching and encouraging others to take the lead. Is there one type of leadership style where you just need to be if you're going to be successful, can, or can you be yourself? What do you think? It's a great question, and we studied some of these leadership models in, in school, and it turns out I think the best leaders are the adaptable leaders um, because every situation, every team you find yourself leading, sort of depending on where you are in the organization, is going to need different levels of hands-on sort of control and direction. You may find yourself the head of a team of a bunch of analysts who are relatively new, and the folks aren't quite really sure how to design a project and carry it forward. You're going to need to get your hands dirty, roll your sleeves up, and really kind of lead from the front and show people along. You may then later on find yourself the head of a team of a bunch of experts who have been doing this forever. We got the idea down. We've got the goal. They know how to do it. Your job is to step out of their way and let them do it. And so that's, that's really assessing where, where's your team? How much do they need me involved in hands-on? 
And if they don't, your job should be to step up. I think where, where people have fallen into trouble is if they have one leadership style, which is I get my, my hands dirty with my team always, when you find yourself with a bunch of experienced people who just need you to step out of the way, there's going to create some, some friction there. So I think it's modifying your approach based on the task at hand and the team that you're leading. Um, and really having a sense, again, back to that emotional intelligence, what do the others in your team need from you? Because it's going to be different depending on the situation you find yourself in. Fantastic. Mark, if people wanted to get more information from you, learn more about leadership development and what you've done, is there a way they can get in touch with you? Are you on LinkedIn or any of the social media sites? I am on LinkedIn, absolutely. So it's uh, Mark Edney, MDMBA, and I'm on LinkedIn. You can reach out that way, and I'm uh, happy to get back to you. All right. Well, thank you, Mark. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman, and you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. I look forward to bringing you our next episode.